On today's edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast, a couple Eagles coaches, both current and former, I still think are getting disrespected in some rankings. I want to talk about it right here on this Thursday edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We thank you so much for making Locked On Eagles your first listen each and every day. Shout out to the everydayers for making us a part of your day Monday through Friday all year round. I'm Louis DiBiase right here on this Thursday edition of the podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter at LockdownBirds, at LOE and my co-host who is off for the day, much deserved, Gino Camilleri. He's on Twitter at GC24 underscore football. On today's edition of the show, I saw some rankings from I think a pretty credible source in NFL media that I think disrespected some Eagles coaches again, and I want to get into those rankings. I feel like Eagles coaches have been, I don't know, I would say pretty much disrespected since they won the Super Bowl back in 2017 with Doug Peterson, Nick Sirianni. I think both got disrespected again by somebody that I really respect in the media. And again, I still think he's very credible, but I just completely disagree with his rankings. So we're going to get into that. And also today is the misleading podcast. So the other two topics I want to discuss are Eagles moments that were misleading. So this is mostly like season openers where there was a big win or a couple shining moments where you thought, oh my gosh, an Eagles season could go one of basically one of one way where like this is going to be a Super Bowl contender and it was off a very small sample size and you maybe you got overhyped about that team and then they definitely did not meet those expectations and then also some Eagles groups on offense that you were misled on based on excitement level like you thought this group of pass catchers running backs whatever it was they were going to be stars and they just did not pan out that way. So that's what's coming up on today's edition of the show. But first, we have to get into these rankings that I saw from the 33rd team, which is a pretty good outlet right now that's being formed by a lot of credible NFL sources, including Ross Tucker, who's a former Philadelphia Eagles offensive lineman, has a great podcast himself, big time in NFL media. He does the Eagles uh, color commentary during the preseason. He came out with his top 32 head coaches In the NFL, by the way, absolutely. One thing I approved of these rankings, or I should say two things. Andy Reid, number one, absolutely. And then number 32 was Jonathan Gannon. I think Eagles fans would love that Gannon was dead last. I 100% agree. Shane Steichen at 30, maybe a little bit too low. But when it comes to like former Eagles, Reid at one, totally agree with. Gannon at 32, completely agree with as well. One thing that he did that I think was just not correct, though, was rank the Eagles' current coach, Nick Sirianni, too low, and I think the Eagles' Super Bowl-winning head coach, formerly Doug Peterson, who is now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So when you look at their rankings, it sounds like it's a compliment, right? Like, Ross Tucker ranked Nick Sirianni number 5, and he also ranked Doug Peterson number 10 among 32 head coaches, like two top 10 coaches that were with the Eagles over the last seven years. One won a Super Bowl, one got to one in two years, and both had a huge impact on this team. But when you look at who's ahead of Sirianni, when you look at who's ahead of Doug Peterson, I still think they are not getting enough credit 
like the majority of the time, that is the reality. So when you look at, like, for instance, Nick Sirianni is number five, which after two years, he was mocked during his introductory press conference, kind of like Doug Peterson. Most thought, like Doug, he was not going to pan out. Takes a two and seven team last year on a, or two years ago, on, you know, a seven game, or he, they win seven of nine final games and they make the postseason. So he does that, and then the following year, he leads the Eagles on the best season, regular season, they have ever had from a record standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, from a performance standpoint on both offense and defense. They make the Super Bowl. They're one defensive and special team stop away from winning it all, and yet he's ranked below Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and Sean Payton? Like, I get the reputation of those guys. Those have been some of the most storied coaches that have won championships, some of the most longest tenured coaches in the NFL right now. Bill Belichick, you can make the argument, is the, and he probably is the greatest coach of all time. But when you're talking about 2023, why the hell is Bill Belichick ranked ahead of Nick Sirianni? What has he done since Tom Brady left New England to justify being number two only behind Andy Reid. Like, yes, have have the Patriots maybe overperformed compared to what they should have, or not compared to, but discussing their actual performance, and then you look at their, their talent on the roster. On paper, what they should do, they probably have overperformed. Like Mac Jones on offense, basically no explosiveness at receiver, an okay offensive line, good, not great, a defense that really doesn't have a lot of stars. Like Bill Belichick has definitely gotten the most out of this Patriots team over the last few years. But to be the number two coach, again, I know based on reputation that he's going to be very high in these rankings. But versus Nick Sirianni right now, I don't think Belichick has done anything since Brady left to deserve being number two. Like if you would say he's number two, or number 10, where Doug Peterson is slated, then I totally agree. But number two, way too high. Especially like Nick Sirianni, right now, I'm sorry. He should be ahead of Bill Belichick. And also, Mike Tomlin, a very good head coach. Like Belichick, has elevated a lot of rosters that aren't very talented. Like consistently, they're over 500. But Recently, they've always been a wild card team. They got to one conference championship back in 2017. They haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2009 when Big Ben was still in his prime. Like, Tomlin is a great leader. I think he's a top 10. He's an elite coach, absolutely, that has deserved to keep his job for as long as he has. But again, when it's what have you done for me lately, I feel like it's with Belichick and Tomlin, it's more based on reputation than anything else. And you have to also include like drafting and the way that they prioritize positions on their roster. I think Belichick and Tomlin are a little bit behind their current time. And the one that made me the most upset was number four, Sean Payton. Like Sean Payton, outside of the Super Bowl win in 2009, how many playoff wins did he have in New Orleans? He had the one in 2018. And he nearly gets the NFC Championship game. They lose to Minnesota in the Miracle in Minneapolis. Outside of that, what has Sean Payton done to deserve right now being ahead of Nick Sirianni outside of a reputation one ring that was all the way back in 2009? It's not just Nick Sirianni at number five that should be higher, but like, why would you put Sean Payton at four, but Doug Peterson is at 10? Doug Peterson has a reputation of being a Super Bowl winning head coach, but he also just took a team in 2022 
that was coming off one of the worst years in franchise in NFL history with the Jacksonville Jaguars that had the, I think, the worst head coach of all time in Urban Meyer that had that team in shambles. They had little to no talent, no veteran experience when it comes to winning. Doug comes in after taking a year off from head coaching, and in one year, they're dead in the water halfway through the year. He leads them on a winning streak, as he did in, with the Eagles in 2018 and 2019. He leads them to the playoffs. They win the division. Oh, and then they win one of the best playoff games I've seen in a long time. One of the biggest comebacks you've seen, you've seen excuse me, in playoff history against the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, Doug Peterson, that guy, the fact that he didn't win Coach of the Year in 2017, 2018, 2019, or 2022, I think is totally disrespectful. And again, in a vacuum, if you said Nick Sirianni is ranked number five, Doug Peterson is ranked number 10, I understand both. But when you zoom in and look at who's ranked ahead of them, like Brian Dable is ahead of Doug by two spots. Kyle Shanahan's at six. He's four spots ahead of Doug. Based on what? I know he's made two conference championships, but I take Doug Peterson over Kyle Shanahan right now. I would take Nick Sirianni over Sean Payton. I take Nick Sirianni and Doug Peterson over Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin. Again, two former Eagles coaches, Andy Reid at one, justified. Jonathan Gannon at 32, absolutely justified. Sirianni at 5, I think he should be ranked higher. Doug Peterson at 10, he should definitely be ranked higher. All right, guys, this is the Locked On Eagles podcast. We're going to talk some misleading Eagles storylines from the past coming up next. But first, a shout-out to one of our sponsors of the show, and it is FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA and the Lockdown Podcast Network make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. I bet on the heat today that did not work out. Boston forcing a game six. Suddenly it was 3-0. Now it's 3-2. I was a Jimmy Butler hater, but then I said I'm wrong. I got to bet on Miami. It did not work out. So that no-sweat first bet is going to pay off for me. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. FanDuel is the best. You get promotions every single day, safe and a secure app. You get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA, the NFL, bet on those futures, and the LockedOn Podcast Network. All right, Eagles fans, we are continuing on this Thursday edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Thanks so much for making us your part of your day. First listen each and every day. Got some fun nostalgia now to talk about on the show, and it's misleading topics. And I'm not trying to mislead you myself, but the topics we are discussing were misleading at the time. So how I want to start this off is by discussing Eagles moments, like Eagles seasons, where the season started in a certain way, and you thought, okay, this could be a Super Bowl season. Like This season could be as memorable as we now know 2022 was, 2017 was. I don't know. You could go to, there haven't been many since outside of those two years, like 2008, you know, the NFC Championship games in the early 2000s. There have been some moments where like week one, I said, oh my God, this team is special. And you had this super high high. And then you absolutely crashed. You know what I mean? Where it's like in that game or within a game or two, everything came crashing down. You're like, okay, actually, never mind. This team is not a championship contender. They're the worst in the NFL. And I felt that way a few times in my life, at least as an Eagles fan. So I have a few of them for you right here. I'm locked on Eagles. Number one 
was the Dream Team season of 2011, which was a total nightmare, week one against the St. Louis Rams. And maybe the writing was on the wall. Howie Roseman said it himself on Jason Kelsey's New Heights podcast about a month and a half ago where he himself said, we won that game against the Rams, but we knew there was trouble coming down the road. Right, They were turning the football over. The offensive line didn't look great. The defense looked shaky. Absolutely. Michael Vick looked explosive, but didn't look like the 2010 version of himself. But at least for me, because they won that game, because you still saw the explosiveness of Vick, of Deshaun Jackson, you saw Namdi Asamoah and DRC on that defense. Jason Babin was getting sacks. Colin Jenkins in the middle at defensive tackle. They win that football game. They were struggling against the Rams early on. Remember that Steven Jackson long run where Namdi couldn't catch him, and you're like, uh-oh, this is not good. But then suddenly they had the switch they turned on, and I'm like, okay, there it is. This team is getting it all together right now. It's a bunch of new players, new veterans trying to mesh, but they have so much talent that they have this switch, like a Golden State Warriors kind of switch of when they turn it on, suddenly they're the best team in football. And they won that game. But then after that, like, yeah, they probably should have won week two against Atlanta if Michael Vick doesn't get hurt, if he doesn't get thrown into the helmet of a Falcons edge rusher, or if it was Jason Peters, I can't remember who he hit, and Mike Kafka has to come in. But then you lose that game. Then there was the Victor Cruz coming out party week three, the game, my first Eagles game ever against the Buffalo Bills, Jaquay Parker offsides. Like, they just started, the losses started to pile up, and it was an absolute disaster. So that was one of those moments where it's like, week one, they're 1-0, and I'm saying, oh yeah, the offseason expectations, they're real, this team has a switch, and let's watch it all develop. And it, you know, they went 4-0 and down the stretch and nearly won, people forget, that Dream Team season, they nearly won the NFC East and made the playoffs. And if that happens, the Giants never beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So they got it together at the end, which made Jeffrey Lurie wanted to run it back in 2012, which we now know led to a 4-12 season. But even with that 4-0 finish, we all knew that team didn't have it halfway through the year. But for at least a week, I said, okay, this team is special. And that was definitely not true. And there's a few other moments like that. I think another one that you guys would all agree with, how about 2015? Week three, and of course it's the preseason, so take it with a grain of salt, but 2015, week three in the preseason, Eagles, Green Bay Packers, Sam Bradford's debut, and he torches the Packers. Back-to-back drives, marches down the field for touchdowns, Darren Sproles is involved, DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, oh God, Jordan Matthews, who else was there? Nelson Aguilar. It was definitely a disaster of a season, but that game, I remember, I'll never forget it, And nobody really has the screenshot, which is disappointing. I've tried to find it myself, and believe me, it happened, although it's not out there on the internet. That game motivated Adam Schefter to pick the Eagles to win the Super Bowl that season and pick Sam Bradford to be Super Bowl MVP. And I cannot find the article, the 2015 NFL predictions article from ESPN, but I promise you it happened. That was another year where it's like, this team could be great, and they were the opposite. There were a few more. 2020 was definitely like that. 2019 and 2020 I wrote down. 2019 is different because they did go on that 4-0 finish and they won the division and made the playoffs. And if Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt, they at least make the divisional round. I think maybe in Green Bay with Lane Johnson and Deshaun Jackson coming back, they can get to the NFC Championship. So I'm a little more of an optimist when it comes to the 2019 Eagles. But regardless... When you look at what they did compared to what the offseason expectations were, a lot of analysts 
had the Eagles winning the Super Bowl that year. They had Alshon Jeffrey coming back. They had Nelson Aguilar coming back. Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. You brought in Deshaun Jackson, who seemed like the missing link, the deep threat Carson Wentz never had. You draft Miles Sanders in the second round. That team desperately needed running back help. You also traded for Jordan Howard from the Chicago Bears. You had a good defense. You had a great offensive line. And then they blow the doors off of Washington week one. They start off slow. They're down by a couple scores. But then Djax has two deep touchdowns. Zach Gertz is getting involved. Alshon Jeffrey has two touchdowns. The whole link in the second half erupted. And I said, wow, this team at their ceiling can win a championship. And for me, as a Carson Wentz and Deshaun Jackson fan, maybe my favorite game outside of 2017 and 2022 of my life as a fan. Just so exciting. And we know right after that, D-Jax got hurt week two against Atlanta and nothing really panned out. But at the same time, for at least a week, I thought, man, this 2019 team, they can get back to being what 2017 was. And we know, again, even with winning the division, definitely a misleading game. And then the other one was week one in 2020. And it wasn't even just week one entirely. It was really only the first half. But that was an electric first half. People probably... Remove that from their subconscious because it was so toxic to see Carson Wentz regress that entire year. But people forget Carson Wentz and the Eagles were up 17 to nothing in that game in the first half. He scores a touchdown the first drive. They go no huddle, empty set, basically every play. Zach Ertz catches a touchdown. Deshaun Jackson's involved. Remember Jalen Rager burned as that was poetic. He Jalen Rager beats Ronald Darby on a sluggo route. 55 yards plus down the field. Then you see a touchdown from Dallas Goddard. Carson Wentz, that was the closest to 2017 Carson Wentz I had seen. And then suddenly he collapsed. Washington erases a 17-point deficit. The Eagles just imploded in the second half. And we know how the 2020 season went. So there's been some instances in Eagles history where it's like there's a game or two or a half or two early in the year and you're saying, This Eagles team could be special, and then it's not like there are some seasons where it's a slow decline where you keep believing, but then there's these like massive drop-offs where you're like instantly, oh, never mind, this team I thought was great, and it's not just that they're mediocre or just good, they're terrible. That's how I felt in 2011, that's how I felt in 2020, 2015, 2019 is different for sure, but it definitely fits that category of thought they were a Super Bowl contender, and they're definitely not close. I got some more misleading topics for you coming up coming up next, guys, right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. All right, Eagles fans, we're wrapping up this Thursday edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast, and we're taking a trip down memory lane talking about some misleading games, season openers, but how about now some Eagles misleading groups on the offensive side of the football? So some core groups on offense that we thought were going to be electric, and they were the opposite. So... For instance, I think the first group that I can think of are the 2015 Eagles running backs. I was a diehard LaShawn McCoy fan, but I kind of, unfortunately, as embarrassing as it is, I definitely drank the Chip Kelly Kool-Aid. So when he left, he, he let McCoy go in the trade for Kiko Alonso, I said, okay, this team is a really good offensive line. And it's kind of like what they're doing right now. They let Miles Sanders walk, who's definitely a better running back than... DeAndre Swift in a vacuum, or Rashad Penny, or Kenneth Gainwell, or Boston Scott, or you know anybody else. Trey Sermon, the list goes on with the running backs the Eagles have, but at the same time, would I rather have just Miles Sanders 
or DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny and Kenneth Gainwell for the price of like $4 million. And in that way, I would want what the Eagles have right now. And that's kind of the way I felt in 2015. I think it was sound logic, but when you look at the personnel they actually had, the fit with Chip Kelly's offense, the personalities they had, the injury history, it was a disaster. The fact that then they first brought in, they wanted it to be Frank Gore, as we all know. It's the most popular running joke in Eagles lore is Frank Gore being an Eagle, and it never was. But once he decided to, after declining that verbal agreement with the Eagles, he signs with the Indianapolis Colts. The Eagles pull a 180. They sign Ryan Matthews. They had Darren Sproles already. And then they basically court DeMarco Murray, who led the NFL in rushing yards the year before with Dallas, to the Eagles. He comes in on a private jet. They sign him to this massive contract extension. And then we knew right away against Atlanta, it was not to be. DeMarco Murray and the shotgun and this fast-paced offense just did not fit. He was not a receiving running back. He couldn't handle the pace. Wasn't explosive enough in the scheme that they used. It was a disaster. Ryan Matthews, very efficient. I actually think he's pretty underrated for what he did in 2015 and 2016 from an efficiency standpoint. I think Swift or Penny could kind of be your Ryan Matthews of the modern day, but he could just never stay healthy. And then Darren Sproles like, was very reliable over those years, but he had to carry the load far too much than he should have been asked to because he's just not that kind of guy. He's a complimentary second or third running back. So, But at the same time, again, in the offseason, I was excited because I'm saying, okay, you're paying DeMarco Murray a lot, Ryan Matthews you sign, you have Darren Sproles, but there's still less expensive than LaShawn McCoy. You get three guys that I think will mask that production from Shady, and you get potentially a really good linebacker on defense where you need a lot of help. I thought it made sense at running back, and I think, again, the logic was there for Chip until, (laughs) well, kind of. The logic was there with what he wanted to do at running back until he signed DeMarco Murray. The logic of the trade itself with McCoy also didn't make much sense because like to trade Shady for Kiko Alonso straight up I mean, the trade value charts there was probably terrible. And then some other misleading offensive groups. I got two more for you. How about 2016? This one I was way too excited about for Carson Wentz as a rookie. It was second year Nelson Aguilar. It was Jordan Matthews in his third year. And it was Doriel Green-Beckham. It was, and DGB, I was so excited about when they traded for him right before that third game in the preseason against the Colts. DGB for Dennis Kelly. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm thinking Dennis Kelly for DGB is nothing. DGB was a second-round pick two years ago, showed flashes his rookie year in Tennessee. It's a new coach. He just fell out of favor there. And then we learned real quick who DGB was. People don't talk about it a lot. It definitely gets lost in the Eagles' like wide receiver misses because, you know, it's fair. Most people highlight the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside pick and Jalen Rager, totally justified. But at the same time, Doriel Green-Beckham was another huge miss from Howie Roseman. He didn't place the value on DGB. He did with JJ or, you know, Rager with a first-round pick or a second and, you know, passing on a, you know, JJ or a DK Metcalf. Um, But at the same time, the DGB trade was terrible. And week one, though, is hard to tell because Aguilar catches that touchdown down the right sidelines. Jordan Matthews catches the first touchdown on the first drive of Wentz's career. Doriel Green-Beckham showed some flashes, but that did not last long at all. And it was the same with 2020, the COVID year, where the Eagles were obsessed with speed. And I remember the quote from LaDainian Tomlinson NFL Network. It's, the Eagles are building a track star team 
on offense at receiver. It was Deshaun Jackson coming back from injury. They drafted Jalen Rager purely for speed over Justin Jefferson. And I agreed at the time, but it was definitely a mistake. They trade for Marquise Goodwin, who was an Olympic track star. They draft Quez Watkins in the draft, who had the second fastest 40 time behind Henry Ruggs, 4-3 speed. And they drafted John Hightower, who was also one of the most explosive receivers in the draft, coming out of Boise State. And Howie said, basically, 2019, I know I have two elite tight ends that are going to eat over the middle. What do I need to complement them? I've got also two bigger body receivers in J-Jaw and Alshon Jeffrey. At least one of them will pan out in 2020. What do I got to do? I got to add speed because D-Jax is not reliable for 16 games. So I'm going to draft Jalen Rager. Going to draft Quez Watkins. John Hightower going to trade for Marquise Goodwin. And again, the logic, I wanted it because they had no speed, but they went way too far. Like Again, if they would have drafted just one of those guys, I would have said, I totally get it. You need some speed on offense. Everybody needs a burner. The Eagles right now don't really have one without Quez being consistent, but Devontae and AJ, they make plays down the field. Everybody needs explosive deep plays. But at the same time, they went way too far. Like all four or five receivers that they targeted, what was really their only strength? It was speed. I mean, we know that with Quez, with his route running, we know that with Hightower with the same thing and his, you know, his aunt, his hand issues with catching the football and, you know, Djax couldn't stay healthy, still fast to this day, could still probably run a 4-4, but, you know, his hamstrings were that of an 80-year-old and uh, Marquise Goodwin just didn't want to play football and he was always injured too. So, yeah, they went a little too overboard with that. But at the same time, again, I think a lot of Eagles fans were excited about these moves, the cores that the Eagles were building. And uh, it was pretty damn misleading. So this was the misleading podcast right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. That'll do it, though, for today's show. I'm Louis DiBiase signing off. Gino will be taking over tomorrow. Your team every day. It's the Philadelphia Eagles right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Locked On Eagles. I'm Louis DiBiase signing off. As always, thank you for downloading. Thank you for watching and listening. And let's go, birds.